0: Well, Welcome to Whitewater. Whether you're here in person or whether you're watching online, we are elated you're here. We are finishing up a series called Blessed with a question mark. We're still trying to figure out if we are (laughs) because, boy, if ever there was a time we need blessing, it's now. As we kind of move toward the end of the pandemic, hopefully, what worries me is not the pandemic anymore. What worries me and concerns me is the level of stress and anxiety and human brokenness that to me is the bigger threat right now. We can't even free up the Suez Canal. I mean, I don't know what we're going to do in our world. I just read this week that one surprising byproduct of the pandemic is that it has caused a challenge for dentists and people. It's caused a spike in chipped and cracked teeth. Are you aware of this? Of the dentists surveyed by the American Dental Association Institute, 71% of people reported an increase in teeth grinding and clenching, and 63% reported an increase in chipped and cracked teeth over a COVID period in the last 12 months. I think it's from watching the news every night and just like clenched teeth, grinding teeth. So the principles that we have been covering are living a blessed life could not be more practical, could not be more timely, could not be more powerful for you. There's a book that I've been delving into, actually did a deep dive into it this week in preparation for our beatitude on the battle that we're going to talk about today, the battle beatitude. But this book has pretty much changed my life. You may not have heard of it. It's really helped me in my spiritual formation. If you're a history buff, you'll really love it. It's called Fox's Book of Martyrs. Whenever I am prone to complain, which I might do a little today, I get right-sized real quick by reading the stories in Fox's Book of Martyrs. This book contains stories, actual stories in history of Christians through the ages who have died And been persecuted and martyred for their faith. Don't read it at night. That's all I'm saying before you go to bed. You may not have even heard of it, but it has been so helpful in strengthening my resolve. In that book, Fox's Book of Martyrs, there's a story of a guy named William Tyndale. You may not have heard of William Tyndale, but you are enjoying the benefit of his work because when I hold my Bible in my hand here and you hold yours either electronically or in leather paper, you're holding... The result of Tyndale's work. I'll tell you why. Tyndale was born in 1494. He was a well-educated scholar who just bristled at the barriers to get a readable translation of the Bible in the hands of regular common people. Up to that time, literally, the Bible was chained to the pulpit. It was written in Greek or Hebrew or Latin another language. Only the priest could read it and understand it. That created a problem because the church started doing stuff that might not square with the Bible, but the people in the pew didn't know it. Only the priests could read it. In fact, I know you're not going to believe this, to have and own a Bible in their day was a crime, and Tyndale set out to fix that. Oh, how casually you hold this Bible. People have died so you could read this, and some of us don't. The person that doesn't read is no better off than the person that can't read. You know that, right? People have paid a price for you to hold this in your hand, and Tyndale paid that price. Tyndale had to go into hiding in Germany to translate the New Testament in 1525. He was eventually betrayed by a friend that he trusted who turned him in for bounty, and subsequently Tyndale was put in prison in a castle near Brussels where he suffered in this dark and damp cell for 18 months before standing trial. Have you ever been betrayed by a close friend? Have you ever been hurt? Some of us have here in the room or watching online. Have you ever been hurt by the institutional church? You and William Tyndale would be in good company. What's most bizarre To me, as I study Fox's Book of Martyrs and as I read the New Testament, is that sometimes the greatest enemy to relationship with Jesus is the so-called religion of the church of their day. The church, the place that should be the funnel, the fuel of encouragement, suddenly becomes the place of persecution. Well, Tyndale was tried and condemned as a heretic because he believed in grace alone and faith alone and the Bible in regular people's hands, and he was sentenced to death. And one early October morning, just past dawn, Tyndale was led from his prison to uh, the place of execution. It was a stake that he was tied to. He was offered one last offer to recant, which he did not. Here's a picture of that scene, that grisly, ghostly scene that day. Secured to a stake surrounded by brush and logs, Tyndale, one of it bold in life and bold in death. The last uttered prayer that he prayed before he was martyred was this, Lord, open the king of England's eyes. Shortly thereafter, the executioner snapped hard on the rope, strangling Tyndale before the blaze consumed his body. Just so you could read the Bible, friend. Just so you can know the truth that will set you free. So part B, were the eyes of the King of England finally opened to Tyndale's English version and translation of the Bible? Indeed they were. Just two years after Tyndale's death, King Henry authorized the distribution of the Matthew Bible, they called it, much of it Tyndale's work, and in 1539, all the printers and sellers of the books in England were ordered by the king to provide a Bible in the English tongue and language to everyone who wanted one. Tyndale's dream, his martyrdom, his last earthly appeal had come true. I just thought I'd sit here for a few minutes this morning and be real with you. Kind of process the beatitude that we come to, the last one on our list, and share. I hope you'll hear it a little from my heart. Jesus' words in today's beatitude, I call it the battle beatitude, came true that day when William Tyndale died. It has come true many other times. It may very well come true for you before this year, this day, this age is over. Let me read it to you, Matthew 5, verse 10. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when men in and people insult you. Anybody here been insulted? Persecute you. Falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. <laughs> have you been talked about by the best? Well, I have. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way, they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Blessed are the persecuted. Wow. We have covered seven different qualities of a blessed life. And as we come to this last beatitude, we find that each one has kind of been building on the other. Do you wonder why Jesus saved this one? Blessed are those who are persecuted for last. Maybe it was because if he said this first, everybody would have run for the hills. I'm not going to stick around for the rest. I think he knew that if a person truly possesses the first seven qualities, the result is going to be persecution. When we are poor in spirit, look at all the ground we've covered as we've ventured up to this mountain, the Sermon on the Mount. Blessed are the pure in spirit. When we're poor in spirit, when we mourn, when we're meek, when we hunger and thirst for righteousness, when we're filled, when we show mercy, when we're pure in heart, when we are peacemakers. Man, what a great sermon and message and experience worship service last week to talk about peacemakers, still hearing wonderful things about those who are making good trouble. When, but when we are peacemakers, when we're all these things, Jesus says the result is going to be persecution. Persecution. Now, most of us in this room and watching online will never be burned at the stake like Tyndale. We will never be thrown into a lion's den like Daniel. We'll never be dipped in wax as some early Christians were by the emperor Nero and then literally lit on fire to eliminate his Roman gardens. That actually happened. That may never be our lot, but there will absolutely, if you follow Jesus, be times we are mocked and slandered and misunderstood and persecuted and oppressed and discouraged and discriminated against because of our relationship with Jesus. 2 Timothy 3.12 says, All that live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. All. That sounds pretty inevitable to me. Not some. All. Now let me hasten to say I'm not talking about pseudo-persecution. I'm talking about real persecution. And this may shock you to know this today because we're pretty sheltered We're pretty spoiled here in greater Cincinnati, in the good old U.S. of A, actually. It may shock you to know that there is active persecution occurring right now as I speak in our world. According to the ministry, open doors in just the last year, listen to this, in just the last year, there have been 4,761 Christians killed for their faith. 4,761 that they are aware of. Martyred for their faith. Let that sink in. Over 4,400 churches or other Christian buildings have been attacked or burned up. Think about that. We actually have whitewater missionary partners who are working in extreme Muslim countries like Sri Lanka and India and Africa and the Middle East, working in cultures that are hostile to Jesus. It's dangerous to say the name of Jesus. We have brothers and sisters in communist countries who are suffering and being oppressed and opposed and imprisoned and even dying for their faith every single day. The words of Jesus are coming true. If you want your eyes open this week, just check out a website called The Voice of the Martyrs at persecution.com. The Voice of the Martyrs, because they need a voice at persecution.com. In this text today, I think Jesus is bringing comfort to those who were listening then and those who are listening now who have been persecuted because of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And Jesus says, hey, listen, I have good news for you. You can rejoice over rejection. What? That's right. Great is your reward in heaven and the kingdom of God will come to you. Now, why does Jesus say this? He's saying this because the path of the cross is the road of suffering. I want to give you a little clue. For those of you watching online who are brand new, those of you in this building, brand new first time, I want to just kind of give you a heads up right now. Following the way of Jesus is the way of suffering. You can't have the crown of life without the crown of thorns. Following Jesus is not always convenient. Sometimes early, I think I even tried it, did it early in my ministry. I'll just take Jesus as a way to woo people. Just take Jesus, everything will be okay. No, it won't. It might just get harder. The truth sets you free, but first it will make you miserable. Oh, There are blessings from following Jesus. I'm going to give you some, both here and there in heaven. But there is a cost that comes with a commitment to Christ. Make no mistake about it. The bar is pretty high. So are you going to follow Jesus just when it's going good for you? What good is that? My question is, are you going to follow Jesus when all hell breaks loose in your life? When you don't get the raise? when you do lose the job, when you don't get the house, when everybody and everyone is running away from you instead of toward you, when things didn't work out, when you pray and you can't hear from God, will you still follow Jesus then? In fact, if you're not getting any pushback at all, there's a problem in your life. If you're not getting any persecution, we need to have a little talk, okay? That means you're no threat to the devil or anybody else. I heard about a pastor who was giving a sermon on Satan and how he works on us and tempts us. And one church member came up after the pastor's message and said, hey, pastor, I don't know what you're talking about. The devil never bothers me. To which the pastor said, well, two people walking in the same direction on the same road seldom bump into each other. If you're not suffering for any persecution, you know what? You're not confronting society. You're reflecting society. Big difference. It's hard to follow Jesus. It's a fulfillment that only those who follow the crucified Lord know. But friend, this life is not the rewarding place. This is the rehearsal. This is not a playground. This is a battleground. So that's why Jesus here in this wonderful beatitude of battle and blessing gives us, first of all, I see here some reasons for persecution. He he like defines it. He gives us the reasons why we are going to be persecuted. Jesus says persecution, first of all, he said, is a result of me, not you. You will be persecuted, he says, because of righteousness. You will be talked about, railed about, say all kinds of evil against you, because of me. So make sure that if you're offending someone, Jesus is the one doing the offending and not you, right? There are wrong reasons where you can be persecuted. Could I just say that it's not my position that gets me in trouble. It's my disposition that gets me in trouble. And we have people who claim, oh, I'm just persecuted, but they're not persecuted for the right reasons. It could be that they're obnoxious in their faith or have, they have this air of entitlement or self-righteousness about them and others say, uh, I don't like you. It's not because that you are righteous, it's because you're a jerk with Jesus. Maybe it's because you begin behaving badly. Uh, you know what? I don't think that most of the capital rioters were being persecuted because of their faith. I think they were just idiots out there clowning around doing crazy stuff that's not persecution. In fact, that hurts the church sometimes. And you know what, perhaps you didn't get that job, not because you were a Christian, it's because you were an unqualified Christian. So, sometimes we are persecuted, it has absolutely nothing to do with righteousness. Sometimes it has everything to do with Jesus and righteousness. Other times we face legitimate opposition and persecution And discrimination, and in this message, I've been trying to dissect which is the difference between them. But I'm just telling you, all of those things occur because of our faith. I hear it all the time. I get emails. I have conversations for those in this room and those watching online. We have spouses who come here regularly who the spouse that's at home does not come, and they complain about you coming to church all the time. Or watching it and here's where it really gets sticky giving money tithing I don't want you to give that money that brings a certain amount of pressure to a relationship oppression maybe to the relationship some of us here have had an unethical boss that believes your faith is interfering with your job performance or the bottom line of the company and they ask you to do something illegal or immoral or something that goes against your clear Bible understanding of an issue involved. And people have lost their jobs in our church because of that. Maybe, especially for young people, this is important. Friends are important. As you get older, what you find is I don't need that many friends. I just, my idea of a good evening when you get older is not a bunch of people at my house. But when you're younger, friends that you have, or so-called friends, soon realize that you follow Jesus and that their value system and your value system do not match, and so they poke fun at you and don't invite you or include you because your values are not compatible with theirs. Some of our wonderful students in student ministry right now, Reed Sapp and our team could tell you, we have students right now that are bullied at their school because of their stand for Jesus Christ. We ought to lift up our students who are trying to live for Jesus in a culture that is putrid and so whacked out compared to the way some of us grew up. And I've been increasingly alarmed about a cancel culture in our world that seems to be persecuting anyone of faith that doesn't agree with their enlightened worldview. If you need an example of that, you only have to come to the NCAA tournament this year. Just Google the online chatter about whether Oral Roberts University basketball team should be allowed to play in the NCAA tournament. And it wasn't because they beat Ohio State University either. I just want you to know. Articles and people have said they're dangerous to America because of their fundamental beliefs on marriage and other social issues. It's a different world, friend. My friend Caleb Kaltenbach, raised by... uh, Three lesbian homosexual parents who became a preacher, wonderful guy to talk about grace and truth and the tension in that issue. He's spoken here. He is now preparing my pastor friends and preparing the church right now for the arrival of the ramifications of this new Equality Act making its way through Congress. You ought to pay attention to this. It has the potential to radically ramp up oppression, discrimination, persecution, Against those who believe this book. Friends, I am predicting to you, I'm not a prophet, I am predicting to you that it's going to get harder in coming days and years to be a Christ follower, not easier. Get ready. The wonderful seat of comfort that the church and all of us who follow Jesus have been allowed to sit in is fading away. And I predict that if things don't change, Churches will not be immune. I predict that churches in the not-too-distant future will lose their tax-exempt status. It'll be revoked because of our stand on the Scripture. That doesn't really worry me. You know why? If the only reason you're giving to Jesus and the church is to get a tax write-off, we got to have a conversation. Come on. I think that day is coming. I think the day you will see the day... Soon, when pastors are fined, maybe even put in jail for simply preaching the truth of the words of this book because it's branded as intolerant and harmful to society. You say, David, that's bad news. Uh-uh, it's good news. You know when the church was at its best? When persecution was at its worst. There's something about this ease of when we're in Zion, when everything likes us and everybody likes us, that the church just kind of goes inward and gets, gets compromised. Persecution has a way of defining who's in, who's out, and why. And if judgment begins in the world, Paul says, judgment has to begin in the church. That's the reason why we're going to be persecuted, friend. Just write this down. My children, my grandchildren, your grandchildren are going to grow up in a different world. I predict a culture that's hostile to the faith. So Jesus' words are coming to pass right now. So he gives us his reasons, but also Jesus also gives us some rewards for persecution. Did you catch that? He says, blessed are those persecuted for righteousness because theirs is the kingdom of heaven. In other words, we get to enjoy the kingdom of heaven. Rejoice and be glad, he says. What? That seems counterintuitive. What are you talking about? Be glad when you're persecuted? No way. David, how do you explain that? See, here's how I explain it. The kingdom of God, the Bible, is full of paradoxes. To live, you have to die to self. To receive, you have to give. The first will be last. The greatest will be servant. And this is one of those paradoxes, this beautiful paradox, that when we are persecuted, we have rejoicing and not moaning and griping. Peter and John in the New Testament were thrown in prison once by the religious leaders for preaching the gospel. This angel miraculously got them out, and they went right back out and started preaching about Jesus. The Apostle Paul preached so boldly about Jesus, they they stoned him and drug him out of sin and left him for dead. (laughs) He came back to life, and you know what he did? He went right back in the city. He wasn't done with his sermon. What do you do with a guy that can't be killed? Who says, go ahead, kill me. I've been wanting to go to heaven but until he takes me or it's out of here, you're going to hear about Jesus. Oh, that's bold. Well, Peter John, they're bold. They arrested him again. This time they had him flogged. That's not a pleasurable experience. But they did not consider it a disadvantage, it says. In fact, here in Acts 5.41, it says, The apostles left the Sanhedrin rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name. There is this sanctified, weird kind of joy and fulfillment in picking up and carrying your cross for Jesus. Yes. There will be rewards someday in heaven, and I can't wait to get there. But there are real rewards right here and now on earth too. You will see, those of you who suffer, who lean into Jesus you and sacrifice something for him, you will see the kingdom come in your life. You will see the word and the work of God displayed in your life. You will see how God uses this struggle and this pain for his glory and your good. You will have a brilliant, powerful testimony uh, that, of, of endurance as people watch you and decide if you really are a Christian or not based on wh- how it's going. Some of the greatest testimonies that some of you will ever give are when you are suffering for Jesus Christ. Some of the greatest uh, uh, times of testing will produce the greatest times of witnessing because they're going to ask, they're going to find out those people who say and think that they're Christians, you're, people are going to find out if you really are based on your attitude and your spirit as you move through the way of the cross. Wow. The kingdom will come. It'll be seen in your life powerfully if you take the words of Jesus literally. And this happened in the early church. It happened with the early church. The persecution they received caused them to spread out geographically and advance the mission of the church. What Satan meant for evil, God used and meant it for good. I've been really weighing and thinking about this very subject right here. I'll tell you why. Because we in America, we're used to having a favored status. We here in America, we're used to being on the home team. I wonder how we will respond. I wonder how this church will respond when we are really Persecuted. When we really have to count a cost, what Satan means for evil, God still will use for good. Yes, there are burdens of carrying his cross, but there are huge blessings that you can experience that those who've never tasted sacrifice are unfamiliar with. There are certain rights and responsibilities of being a kingdom kid that you will only see on the way of the cross. And nothing weds you, nothing welds you closer to Christ like suffering for his name. So those are some reasons for persecution. Jesus here gives these rewards for persecution. And then this, let me be kind of frank with you and real and vulnerable. Jesus here gives some reminders for when we're persecuted. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets, he says, who were before you. He reminds them that It is comforting to know that there are other people who have blazed the trail before you. There's some words that have been convicting and inspiring me these days from Hebrews 11. I want to read them to you. Hebrews 11 is like the roll call of the faithful, like all these great people, some of them in Fox's Book of Martyrs, some of them in biblical uh, written history here are people of faith. And here's what it says about them. There were others who were faithful, who were tortured, refusing to be released so that they might gain an even better resurrection. Some faced jeers and flogging, even chains and imprisonment. They were put to death by stoning. They were sawed in two. They were killed by the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted, mistreated. The world was not worthy of them. They wandered in deserts and mountains, living in caves and in holes in the ground. Friend, this is our legacy of faith right here. They were all commended for their faith, it said, yet none of them received what had been promised. God planned that with us together, that we could enjoy that which was made perfect. And it says, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, people are watching us, not only on earth, in heaven watching and cheering us on let us run the race with perseverance marked out for us let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and fix our eyes on jesus when i am prone to complain and i am when you are persecuted it helps to know that you're in good company It'll give you a kind of a feeling of confidence because no matter who you are, no matter how strong you think someone is, everyone needs reassurance that we're not crazy for paying the price of following Christ. Even ministers need to be reassured from time to time. There have been some dark days in our church where just the right elder, God love them, just the right staff came into my office or emailed me or texted me and said, David, you're not crazy. I believe in you. I don't need a bunch of them, but just a few. Because sometimes you wonder. Now, compared to what I just read to you in Hebrews and Fox's Book of Martyrs, it's nothing compared to that. But I talk to pastors every week, and can I just be real with you? Pastors in the U.S. are under more intense pressure and criticism right now than ever before in my lifetime. And if statistics I'm hearing are correct, hundreds of churches will be closing because of COVID and other political situations and whether members wear masks and just the list goes on and on and on. Hundreds of churches closing. Hundreds of pastors are leaving the ministry every month And COVID has done nothing but accelerate that. (laughs) I don't know if you heard about the preacher email chain that's circulating lately about perfect pastors. Have you heard of the ideal preacher preaches exactly 10 minutes. He condemns sin, but never hurts anybody's feelings. He works from 8 a.m. to midnight and also serves as a church custodian. He makes $100 a week, wears good clothes, drives a nice car, donates $50 a week to the church. He's 29 years old and has 40 years of experience. He makes a dozen hospital calls a day, but is always available for you in his office. If your pastor does not measure up to these criteria, send this list to six other churches that are also dissatisfied with their pastor. Then bundle up your pastor and send him to the church at the top of the list. In one week, you'll receive 1,643 pastors. Surely one of them will be perfect. Warning, one church broke the chain and got its old pastor back. I'm <laughs> Kind of an old samurai in ministry now. I've got to tell you something. I have seen a lot in my day. And it's never been harder to be a leader of anything, but especially the church right now. It's never been harder to be a pastor. It's never been harder to be a missionary. It's never been harder to be a Christian businessman. It's never been harder to be a staff on this church or any church. It's never been harder to be an elder. You have no idea the weight and the pushback and the criticism that comes in the chair that I sit in and that so many others sit in. And this is a wonderful church. Not a perfect church, but a wonderful church. You have no idea the things that I have tried to endure on some days to make changes that were necessary and keep this church healthy. It's a price I'm so willing to pay. It's so worth it. You're going to find out why at the end of our service today with a story. But this is not for the faint of heart. I got an anonymous letter addressed this way to me, David, son of Satan. Yeah, that'll make your day. Friend, I'm not perfect. <laughs> Trust me, sometimes that criticism is so well deserved, but sometimes it isn't. Sometimes people are mad at the world, they're mad at themselves, they're mad at their spouse, they're mad at the government, they're mad at God. I just happen to be the one that represents him in front of them. Close friends that I did life with and traveled with have betrayed me, went on social media and talked bad about the church. I've had people actually say, David, I like you, I just don't like the church. (laughs) It's like saying, David, I like you, but I don't like your wife. You are me. I am you. I've lost count of the number of church members just kind of we've done life with, and they just walk away. Maybe they had a good reason, but sometimes they don't. We've had a number of people leave the church over my tenure here, 18 years, for preaching a very strong biblical truth uh, message in a compromised world where everybody in the culture says that's right, and we say Jesus says it's wrong. And what's bizarre is we've had folks depart because they think we preach too much grace here. Like, David, you'll take anybody. That's right. We're taking you, okay? (laughs) We're going to take anybody. (laughs) It stings. It hurts. I can't figure out this church thing where you think people are all in and then one day they They move from your greatest encourager to your worst critic. My heart has never got over that. It's worth it. I do it all again because when you walk in the footsteps of the nailed, scarred one, he said, if they persecuted me, they're going to persecute you. No servant is greater than his master. So just let me be clear on behalf of me and JT and others that teach up here and lead here. If we are forced to choose disappointing someone and it's Jesus or you, It's going to be you. We're not perfect men or women. We're not perfect leaders. But there's this God-given calling on our life to tell you what you need to hear, not what you want to hear. And that is a hallmark of our church. And you can be disappointed and you can be distracted and you can be mean about it sometimes. But I'm telling you, that's the way it is. And it's a privilege to bear with the one who bore the cross for us. And this is a healthy church, friend. Whitewater is a healthy church. I've got other friends that are not fortunate enough to be in a church like we have here. I guess sometimes it affects me and I don't know it. Again, it's not about me. Some of you have been serving in ministry longer than me. You know exactly what I'm talking about. I guess I'm not a very good card player because... From time to time, I guess people may notice that something's going on with Dave. Uh, sometime, I, mean, I need to check on David Vaughn. Uh, not long ago, uh, just actually within the last week, I was finishing up a lunch appointment and I got this text from Jessica, my assistant. She said, hey, uh, David, she says, when you get back from lunch here, there's a, an unusual box that someone delivered. It's sitting on your desk. I said, uh, is it ticking? Is it, is it? And when I got back, I opened up the box, and two things were in there. I'm going to show you the first thing. This gladiator helmet. Hey, what in the world? And with it in the box was this letter. I won't reveal the name of the person who's a friend of mine. And here's the way it was addressed, so I'm just, I am just want to apologize in advance. There's a cuss word here. To my badass preacher, (laughs) I've been called a dumb, anyway, (laughs) I know last year was hard on you and I cannot take away the pain of what people can cause. We need to look at the cross though. Jesus let people beat him, mock him, spit on him, nail him to a cross, all for the love of us. I know we'll never be able to achieve that level of love, but it does help to erase the pain. Enclosed is the helmet from the movie Gladiator, one of your favorites, which it is, that movie. Let it remind you of all the battles you have fought and all the battles to come. Thank God for the battles, for they make us stronger. We need not fear the battles to come, for we cannot lose out with Jesus at our sight. The test of time will prove what a great warrior God created in you, so be proud of all you have done and hungry for all you still need to do it's a little bit better than jesus uh, than david son of satan uh, that just went over a little better so i have had this in my office and i've been watching it and looking at it on good days and bad days if i schedule a meeting with you and i'm wearing this into the meeting when you if i come out to preach and this is on You know what kind of week it's been. (laughs) And it's not just me. I get blessed. I get my goal of sharing this. I hope you hear my heart. It's not for you to give me gifts or emails. Friend, I'm generously compensated here. Our staff could make a lot more in a lot of other places. It's not about the money. But I have to remind myself, I actually get paid for what people are dying for and getting shot at all over the world. So please hear my heart. It's not about me. I have some wonderful support. I'm just saying it's hard. And I don't think I have all the answers, and it's hard for a lot of reasons for me. For a lot of reasons. But I've decided I'm gonna stay in the battle. I don't wanna be a casualty. I can't turn back now. I've come too far to turn back now. I bet you have too. That's why I've learned that following Jesus starts out as fun. Oh, it's fun. But then it becomes work. And then it becomes war. Nobody ever told me that. I thought it was going to be fun all the time. No. It's a lot of work. It's a lot of warring. And I think that's why Peter wrote this little verse in 1 Peter's first letter He's writing during the time of the real gladiators, by the way, when Nero was the emperor of Rome. Nero loved torturing Christians. And in that exact point in time in human history, Peter writes these words to the little church there in Rome. Dear friends, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come on you to test you, as if something strange were happening to you. But rejoice in as you participate in the sufferings of Christ, so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed. That's the verse we just read earlier. <laughs> For the spirit of glory and of God rest on you. If you suffer, it should not be as a murderer or a thief or a, a, a of any ki- like any kind of criminal or even as a meddler. <laughs> However, if you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed. But praise God that you bear that name. Jesus right here in this beatitude, this battle beatitude of blessing, tells us the reasons for persecution, the rewards for persecution. And then Peter here gives us the reminders as well. Let me give them to you. These are like next steps for you to apply this week when you suffer. And I'm thinking that some of us don't realize it. But the suffering is yet to come. Some of us, it's been going really well. It might be because you're not pressing in or leaning in enough. And I say to you today, we will not quit. You can't quit. So let me remind you that when persecution comes your way, here's a couple things to keep in mind. It may even come this week. Number one, recognize the source Of the persecution. Persecution is coming from the fiery evil one, not God. And here's what I've learned even my worst critics give me some truth. There's a little truth in every criticism. And I've learned to not see people as the enemy anymore, but a victim of the enemy. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Some of the toughest words have come to me from people who love me the most. And if I'm pliable enough, I won't quit. I'll stay in the battle. Recognize, though, sometimes it's not God's voice through them, it's the evil one. And sometimes I'm tempted to ask when harsh persecution or criticism comes in my way, I'm tempted to ask, well, are you reading the Bible? Are you praying? Because like if you're not giving, not doing that, your words are very foolish for me to listen to. If you're not walking with, are you walking with God? Because I'm all wide open if you are, but if you're not, I, why would I listen to you? I'm having enough trouble with my own thoughts. Recognize the source. Number two, respond positively. Peter and Jesus say here, praise God that you bear his name. Don't moan and gripe like I tend to do. Just say, God, thank you. I'm worthy of your name. Number three reminder, remember it's all temporary. Anything that occurs to you as a Christian is not going to last forever. Friend, no matter what you're going through online or in this room today, it will not always be this way. It will not always be this way. Those early Christians who died on the Roman Colosseum floor are now living in heaven, and we name our dogs Nero now. Things have a way of changing Paul says in 2 Corinthians, for our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that outweighs them all. Realize it's temporary. And then the last reminder is I just want to remind you to remember, remember your reward. Remember your reward. There will be a rewarding day someday. It's not today. I can't wait for that day when every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord. And we will get the crown of life and just have this feeling that we will take off any crowns we have and lay it at the feet of the one who is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Revelation 2 says, do not be afraid of what you are about to suffer. The devil will put some of you in prison to test you. You'll suffer persecution for 10 days, a complete day, time of period. Be faithful even to the point of death and I'll give you life as your victor's crown. There are some burdens for following Jesus, but let me tell you, there's some blessings from following Jesus. And never forget that God's rewards are always better than Satan's bargains. God's rewards are always better than Satan's bargains. Do not compromise. Don't don't back up on what this says to be true, Fred. It's true. No matter who tells you it's not true, it's true. Don't compromise. Don't quit. Stay in the game. Stay in the battle. Wear the helmet. Do what you have to do. That's what it means to be persecuted for righteousness sake and get your reward here and there. We've been doing this series called Blessed. Man, what a journey it's been up to the mountain. Our world tells us all these things that we're supposed to do to be blessed. I think we can take that question mark away from the blessed now and just put an exclamation mark. Because you now know, you don't have to wonder how to be blessed. We've given it to you the last seven and now eight weeks. Thank you for letting me share my heart like we just be real with you. I pray you've heard that. I pray it's encouraged you. Let me tell you why I do what I do. And what makes all of us give and serve, and not quit, and stay in the game. I want to give you a perfect example of it. As we close out our time together, there's an incredible story that I want to share with you. It really is, it does, it's the best at capturing the reason why we do what we do, why a persecuted church goes out to rescue other people. It makes the price tag worthwhile. It is one of the best examples I have seen in some time of the church working right and Jesus working right in someone's life. Her name is Katie, and I want you to check out her story.
1: I lost my, my stepdad uh, when I was 17 from my overdose. Um, nine months later, my mom died from drugs. I just thought that, you know, like that was the way the world was, you know. So I got into some legal trouble in Cincinnati. You know, I was in the Justice Center and they released me in the middle of the night. Um, I'm not, you know, from around here. I don't know people around here. They're like, you wanna make a phone call? And I'm like, I don't have nobody to pick me up. Like, you guys don't understand. I have nowhere to go. But, you know, they didn't care. I met this dude that night, um, and I'll never forget him because he, uh, uh, you know, kind of took me up under his wing, and he told me what I could do to make money. And that was, you know, prostituting, like on the street. I didn't really know nothing about that type of world. And I immediately, like, went into survival mode, and I was, you know, jumping in and out of cars, prostituting. Just, I, after I lost my mom, like, I just felt like I didn't have nowhere to go. So I felt some type of, like, comfort. You know, I didn't have nobody else to be like, that's not what you should do. That's not, there's another life. I never was introduced to that. So I like in this sick way I felt comfort in in what I was doing. And um I got introduced to a little bit of hope. And um that was on State Avenue. That was the first time that I met somebody um who's very big in my story.
2: Uh oh, the first time I met Katie Riley, it was probably the first or second time that I served with our women's outreach shelter, Weightless Anchor. And I came and there were like five women lined up out the door and there was this one young lady sitting on the doorstep and she was higher than a kite. And I was talking to her and she really, when I talked to her, it was the first time I had actually put a face with addiction and realized that she really was no different than me, except for circumstances.
1: It was like the first bit of like hope
2: ever. When I worked at the women's outreach shelter, I would see her off and on. She would come in, she'd disappear for a few weeks, come back and finally figured out that she was kind of cycling between maybe a jail stay or a recovery program and one time i saw her she had just completed a program and she looked fabulous she looked healthy she you know um, just looked really really good and i said hey katie what are you doing now she says oh i just got out of a program and i'm sober and i was like Oh, awesome what's your plan she didn't have a plan and you know if you don't have a plan you're going to end up doing the same thing that you were doing before
1: so i end up really getting into like a lot of like legal trouble. But I stayed in jail for about a year this time. That was the longest time. You know, it's usually in and out, in and out. Uh, it, it just never was enough time. And I just still think to this day, I'm like, God just orchestrated like all that because he knew I needed longer than a month. Like, and Miss
2: Joanne kept coming, every Thursday she came to see me for a whole year. Each week, we would speak hope to her. We would speak something from God's Word to her. We would encourage her in whatever way we could. Some weeks were really, really good. Some weeks, she was really, really low. Um, But overall, you could just see growth happening in her and her trust in the Lord growing and her um, desire to have a better life. And
1: then, like,
2: I don't know, it just
1: just happened, you know? Miss Jonah was like, Want to fill out this application for a redeemed home. So I went to redeemed and my life completely changed.
2: We pour everything we have into them. Um, Katie was no different. You know, she came to us and we were warned she's a runner. She's a runner. She's not going to last. She's not going to stay. And she did. And she just day after day after day just kept showing up to the dining room table for morning devotion. She just kept showing up to DBT class every day. And the more she learned, the more she wanted. And it just kept growing. And I mean, they taught me, like,
1: what families really were supposed to do. Like, we ate dinner together. (laughs) Like, I had my own room. I've never had my own room. I mean it was just a whole different world. I'm 29. I didn't know. I've never filed taxes. Like I don't know about this world like and I always say world because that's how it really feels. People are like, "How do you live here where you used to get high?" I mean, this is where I've I've been tortured and all kinds of stuff around here. On my street that I live on but now that I got introduced to another world I don't see that world no more
3: when she uh, when I was running the print shop the screen printing shop where we bring in people everything from homeless to out of addiction and I was teaching them a trade and Katie came down uh,
2: part of the job training program through redeemed
3: right so <laughs> she came down and uh, she, didn't think she could do the machines, pull the the squeegees and everything, but she just stayed at it, and uh, the relationship built more and more. Obviously, with you know Karen running the Redeemed House, more and more of a relationship with her, and uh, just kind of adopted her as
2: a daughter. A, another one of our
3: daughters, you know, in the Redeemed Houses and stuff. But and now she, you
2: get to like change her wiper blades and oil it's, in her car it's and been a <laughs>
3: it's been quite a a time yeah. to drive
1: a stick shift like i feel like like maybe i didn't have the dad that i thought i was going to have but like god put jim in my life like to reflect like all this you know like all the like stuff that dads are supposed to be like he's really my dad
4: So my name is Ryan Berg and I serve as the CEO of the ARUNA Project and ARUNA is actually a Hindi word that means bright morning sun and it essentially is the metaphor for the dawning of a new day for the women that we, that we serve. And so we created a, a, essentially a model where we could free the women and then employ them and then empower them through ongoing uh, trauma care counseling and, and transitional housing and living wages to produce a product that's actually designed for the U.S. market and that can compete here in the U.S. market.
1: Ryan was like asking Karen questions like, you know, what is redeemed and stuff, and he was literally like, you know, we want to help somebody in this area um, that's freed from trafficking. And um, do you know anybody who would want to work here? And then Karen, it was so funny because every time they tell me about this, they're like Karen start crying like I have
4: the person. Katie's tremendous. Like her um, I'm amazed at how well she has adapted and just how strong she is. And she's just a, a breath of fresh air here. She's, she comes into she's excited to work, she enjoys being around us. she shares her, her life with us. we share our life with hers. And in in many ways, she's just become part of the family. And she she does great work. And no product touches a customer's hands unless it goes through her hands first.
1: What I would say to a woman who's still out there struggling is just like, you are loved. You don't even know it. Like, you know, God loves you. And just give yourself a chance. Like, you're worth it. You know, like, if you live that life for so long, you don't know your worth you know, until you just give it a shot.
0: I'm so proud of Katie and her courage. Friend, this is what we get a chance to see every day around this place. It's, if ever there's a ch- chance for the church to work right, it was for Katie. And if ever there's a chance for you, maybe there's another Katie watching online or in this room. Like, so many things she said. that impe- Like, I, I never had a bedroom. What's dinner for the family? Nobody told me I was worth it, you are. And that's why. We give and we serve to make a difference. That's why we are willing to endure any kind of persecution or discrimination or criticism because Katie's worth it. And so are you. And that's what makes this church so special and why I'm proud to be one of your pastors. Katie's story really is, if you think about it, the story going from death to life, right? In so many ways. And next weekend is Easter. You've heard it. It is we're doing graves to gardens. It is the epitome, the exact representation and manifestation of death to life. We're planning on doing a bunch of all-ins. I'm telling you, we had two today. They couldn't even wait till next week. Montana and Calion. We are so excited about them. We're looking for that number, 16, to go up considerably. We had uh, so many start to sign up for Easter for this death to life experience, graves to gardens. Uh, You know, evidently you believe John. He said, if you sign up, I'll preach less time. I'm not telling you. He's like serious and you were serious. And so you signed up. And so next Sunday, two of our services because of social distancing, the other thing already filled up. So we decided we got to do something about this. So we added not one, but two services on Saturday. So if you were on the waiting list and you couldn't get in for Sunday, go back online now, sign up for a new available time. We need you to sign up to be here. We need you to sign up to serve because we're adding additional services. We're doing all in. We have lots of extra stuff to do. Uh, And uh, and make sure our guests next week have the greatest experience ever that we are inviting. So I am asking you to pray like never before this week for Easter. People will be in heaven because of what you pray and what you give and what you serve and what you do. That's... The gardens and the graves that we're going to be talking about next week. And I just love Katie's story. It's the most favorite part that I see of what I get to do because uh, I get, along with our staff, a front row seat. And so we're, to the degree you can get a peek behind what is the church working right, that's it. And would to God that we would always be working right in that way. In just a moment, we're going to dismiss you. We ask you to just kind of stay seated, and our ushers will come from the back to do that if you have faith questions. Maybe you're ready to go all in. Maybe that number might go up from 16 there today. I saw Tizovich in the water. He's still got a wet shirt. He's still got his shoes off, I think. Anyway, uh, he's ready to jump back in there. But if you want to wait next week, please call us. Please email us. Please get online and register so we can follow up. Maybe you want to talk to somebody up front down here about baptism and about Jesus. So we're we're here to serve you. So uh, if I could just pray, and I'm going to pray a blessing over you as you leave. And a, pray, a prayer of blessing over our week together. God, thank you that we're in the battle together. That greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. We thank you for Katie and we ask for your protection now. Surrounding her as she is now going to, has moved from the land of the dying to the land of the living. And now she's in the battle of her life. So, God, there will be people coming up next week to go all in. We pray. I have no idea who or how many. We're going to offer the invitation. So it will be a huge battleground here in this real estate next week, fighting for the redemptive souls of men and women. So I ask, God, for our church to work right, to make that work right, and we need to follow up with them. And God, I thank you for the privilege of being a pastor here. Just the ability for me to be real and honest is so freeing. And so, God, I thank you that uh, we're all in this together serving you. And I thank you for the church that you died for and walked to the cross for. And God, if there's another organization or company that impacts people for eternity, tell me what it is, God, I'll sign up. But until that day comes, this is the God-given entity and organization and organism that you have called out so that we can move out. So help us, God, together right now. But we are most the church when we scatter and leave these doors and these walls. So help us to go knowing it will not always be appreciated, knowing we will be challenged, knowing we're in the battle for our lives. Help us to intervene in the battles for, with other people. And now we are grateful for any and all who have come and watched this online. And we ask this now in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. We'll see you next week.